Folks, let me pour my heart out for just a little bit here. I believe our faith, our faith very generally, has been hijacked by popular psychology. I realize that what is going on overall may not be going on here, but people are wooed away by this popular psychology. Joseph Materas has said that the abandonment of theology has led pastors to preach messages that show that they spend more time studying behaviorism and sociology than they do the scriptures. Many of the fastest growing churches today have pulpit preaching based on self-help positive messages with or without scripture as an appendage. The days of a pastor preaching relevant doctrinal messages have gone the way of the dinosaur. What is going on is, is that people are not taking the scriptures as seriously as they are the pop psychology that they want to believe. What they are doing is, is that they're going toward messages that want to improve the flesh. Understand this clearly, folks. You will never improve the flesh. The flesh is the flesh. It is the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is the lust of the <laughs> lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is those things that are within you that you will never improve. You can work on them all you want to. And what we're doing with popular psychology is letting people think, well, I'm better person than I was before. That's not what we've been called to. You see, what the people are looking for today is affirmation, is not transformation. I believe God wants more from us than simply that we want to improve what we are. And when you ask somebody about who they are as a believer, what they will say is, I'm improving. What they should be saying is, I am being transformed by the very Spirit of God. And they're not, they're not saying that. They're not saying that because it's not true. And let me say, beyond this, our faith has also been hijacked by corporate organizational models. A pastor, another pastor, came into my office, said, I went to college and got a marketing degree, and I can teach you how to market your church so that your church will grow like my church grew. And my response is, I'm not that concerned about that sort of thing. I mean, it's not that I don't want the church to grow. It's that I don't want it to grow because of me or my marketing I want people to be transformed, and I want it to be something that, that people, we grow from the inside out. And if we are the people that God has called us to be, we should be attractive. We should be such that, the, that people want to say, you know what, I want to be like you. And the problem is, is that what we're doing is, is that we're just being like the world. We want the psychology. We want the marketing. I'd like to hear these kinds of words said to me. You know, when, when Peter said that Jesus was the, you know, he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you get the revelation of God into your heart and you are transformed, how, who's going to build the church? Jesus said, I will build the church. Not the, not the marketing, not the preacher, not any of that. So Jesus said you will, uh, that he will build the church by his revelation. So what do we have? Joseph Matera says again, as a result, many evangelical churches and sermons are a mile long and an inch deep. We emphasize getting people into our church buildings via slick marketing strategies, felt need programs, and nice ambiance while neglecting the greater commandment of sending out saints to transform the world as disciples of Christ. What we have done is, as we've said, you know what? Let's appeal to the world. The church is saying this. And the way to appeal to the world is says, we'll show you how that you can have the things of the flesh and they'll be better for you. We'll show you how you can have more money and how you can be, you can be wealthier and how you're going to have all of the needs that you ever have wanted. And you'll be able to, you will be able to buy that nice big car and how you can be able to have that big nice house and how you're going to be able to be admired by everybody and they're going to come around and they're going to fall down at your feet and, and ask for your signature. You know, they're looking for autographs now. That's what we're, we're saying to people and that's what's happening in churches. Even the preachers are becoming these people, buying these huge mansions of houses and also writing books in which they sign over and over. It's a little wonder we're not having a revival. It's a little wonder that we're not having a revival because God expects us to walk with him. And you know what we're, our messages are? God, come walk with us. God is not going to participate in what we're about in this world. God wants us to come walk with him. He's not going to participate in the sinful nature that we have in our flesh and this transformation that God is wanting us to have removes the deviations from God. And let me tell you something, it, it, it never ends, but it must start. Let's read the scripture from today. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God. You read that, it, it talks about transformation. Transformation comes from a purified soul. Now realize this, I'm going to give you a little Greek. I always do that, I guess I always do it. It said the word purified is in the perfect tense. Now the perfect tense means that it is something that is completed in the past, but it has results even to now. Okay, understand? It's something that has happened, so you have become pure. That means that you have been made pure, but you are still being transformed by this word of God that he talks about here. Now, so I understand your purification is complete. Now, here's the way I understand it. When I've done a wedding, this really, really has happened. This is not some story I'm telling you. But I have done a wedding, and after I finish the wedding ceremony, 
The young man that I just, he's the groom, he just said, you know, he's done his I do's, kissed the bride, da, da, da. they walked out, he walks back in, you know, so he can take the pictures. And he said, I'm glad it's over. And you that are married and have been married for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. You know that, are they married? Are they fully married? Yes, they are. They are completely married. But it ain't over, is it? It's not even close to over. I always think, and this is my own philosophy here on this. Marriage is 25 years of trying to figure out how you can live with this other person, followed by 25 years knowing that you can't live without that other person. That's the way it really is. You see, it's not over. So our sins are forgiven when we come to Christ. We are purified. Understand that. But we are also being transformed into a pure soul at the same time. A friend of mine wrote the words of a song that that goes like this. You paid much too high a price for me, your tears, your blood, the pain, to have my soul just stirred at times, yet never truly change. You deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice because you paid much too high a price. This purification goes beyond this pop psychology. That pop psychology that leaves us in our flesh exactly where we are. It takes us to places that we couldn't even endure if it had not been for this transformation that is happening to us. It brings forgiveness that we give to other people from the most egregious sins against us. It reflects the words of Jesus for those who crucified him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Who's he, who's he praying for? These people that have cast lots for the garments that he had on him. You recognize that. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, what this transformation does, it brings your enemies into your love. This purification will never end. It goes beyond human reasoning. It goes beyond human expectation. It goes beyond human strength. This purification comes from obedience to the truth. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. A disciple is not someone who simply believes in their head. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That word that is translated observe means to guard carefully. To make sure that you hold on to it. No deviation is permitted. When my girls were little and we lived in Lubbock, Texas, I used to take my daughters to Carlsbad Caverns on Memorial Day. I could drive down there early in the morning and we could go to the caverns and come back and I'd give Karen a day off, you know, kind of a mom's day out kind of thing. And so I'd go down there, and my, and my youngest was four years old, I remember, at the time. And we're going through Carlsbad Caverns. And if you know anything about Carlsbad Caverns, you know that you need to stay on the path. Because if you get off that path, you can go, fall into some dangerous pits. 
That's the way it is. And so what happens is we're walking along and, and um, my uh, daughter, little daughter at that time, she trips and falls off the path. You know what I did? I grabbed her up real quick. Because you know what? I did not want her to get hurt. Now, I got to tell you something. It scared her when I did that. And the acoustics are amazing in that place when a child screams. I will tell you that up front. But what I didn't want her to get hurt because you get off the path very long and it will be dangerous. It is like when I went to the doctor, staying on this path. I went to the doctor and I had a knee problem several years ago. And I, I went to the doctor and, and, you know, he took x-rays and stuff. And he said, well, what I want you to do is do some exercises. And I said, exercise? I don't want to do exercises. Listen to this guy. What I want is a shot in my knee. I want something to make pain go away right now. That's all I want right now, you know. And so I'm not listening to him. I'm just, you know, just get this over with so I can go and find another doctor who will give me a shot in my knee, what I want to do. And here's what he says. And if you don't take those exercises, I'm going to drill a hole in your kneecap and screw it down so that it doesn't get out of place. I said, would you give me those exercises one more time? I want to hear those things. And you know what? I did those exercises and the pain went away. Believe it or not, he knew what he was doing. Who knew? Anyway, it is obedience to the truth that brings about the purification of the soul. Obedience is a result of sanctification. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them. He's praying. He sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays that his disciples are sanctified in the truth. Now, that word sanctified is not the same word as purity, but the etymology is very much the same. And so that they come from the same source. They're related to each other. And his admonition is here, you must obey his word. John 3, 7, 21 rather says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, light exposes and light also cleanses. You remember when Jesus said to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you? And you remember it, and a lot of people go, what does that mean they're clean? Well, what happened was that word of God exposed what was going on in their life, and then it cleansed what was going on in their life. And so that the person who acts on the truth comes into the light and is washed by the word because the word is truth. Transformation of the soul comes by obedience to truth like exercise does to the body. Did you know that after the age of 30, you lose 3 to 8% of your muscle mass every decade? Let me hear that. Three to eight percent of your muscle mass is lost every decade after 30. So that means that if you go and you read all the exercise magazines that are out there, and you read all the exercise books that are out there, and you don't do any of those exercises, someday you're going to be one big blob of fat. That's what it really means. Think about that. That's what happens to us if we don't act on it. Well, hear this. If you come to Bible study after Bible study, read the Bible through every year, even read some deep theological books, but you do not do what the Word says, you will be no better than the people that don't even go to church. In fact, they may be more moral than you are. Karl Barth 
who some think are the greatest theologian of the 20th century, kept a mistress most of his married life. Recognize this. He said it was so right to love her that this must come from God. How far off is that from if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right? How far is that off? Not at all. It's just of the world. And while he knew the deep theological things, he had read the work, he knew the Greek, he knew the Hebrew, he knew all of that, it hadn't changed his life. You see, folks, transformation is a change that is in your life, and you live differently because of what is within you. Not not just so that other people could see you. Therefore, it is not in the knowledge of the truth by the which we are transformed, but by the obedience to the truth. Obedience. Go back to verse 22. So having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, the result of this obedience to the truth, which purifies the soul, is godly love. It's godly love. This is the love from a pure heart. You know, now I have to admit, pure is not in most of the ancient manuscripts. I'm going to give you that up front. I just, you know, and I I had to get that out there. But it does grasp the meaning of this passage. The love we should have for others comes from a pure heart. And a pure heart sets no limits on how much we love. You realize it's brotherly love and beyond. Because when you read that word there and it says a sincere brotherly love, that's the word Philadelphia. You know that, right? City of brotherly love, Philadelphia. But the next word right after it when it says love one another is the word agape. It is love one another with a brotherly love. Go beyond that. And love one another with an agape love. I think that a lot of people in church, when they say something about somebody, they say, well, I don't hate them. That's not what this is calling for. This is not calling for, I don't hate them. You realize this. And and I believe that there are going to be some casual relationships in the church. I know that's what's going to happen because any church of any size is going to have some casual. But there also should be some deep relationships in the church. And in other words, you, it's got to go beyond you just simply coming to worship. You've got to be with a group of people that you really love and you get to know them. You get to know them so that you will trust them because you're never going to, to, to uh, share anything that goes on in your life in reality if you don't trust them. And the love comes with the trust, goes together. And we gather together so often to ask for prayer requests. You know what people are safe to tell us? Somebody's sick. That's all we get. Somebody's sick. There's nothing wrong praying for sick people. That's not where I'm going from this. But here's what bothers me. We don't trust each other enough. We don't love, show our love for each other enough. That what happens is, is that we're able to, to give out a different kind of prayer request. Here's what happens bothers me. We'll hear about a marriage that has failed before we'll know that the marriage was ever in trouble. We'll hear about the divorce before we hear it. We hear about the person get their car repossessed before we know that they are having financial difficulty. It shouldn't be like that. We should be able to share the things that are going on in our lives. See, pure love goes beyond normal boundaries. 
Pure love goes beyond economic differences. It goes beyond political differences. It goes beyond moral differences. It doesn't make us all the same, but it makes us loving even when we are different. It makes us loving even when people are immoral. We love them anyway. We love them even when they've done what they shouldn't have done. Pure love does not take on the ways of the world. You know what happens when you have a disagreement in the world? This is just a fact. When you have a disagreement in the world, what happens is, is they do two things. They do, they, do, they, have, they do assault and distance. They will attack you if you don't agree with them on everything. Or they'll distance from you. They'll ridicule you. And they will censor you. They will bully you. And they'll ignore you. In fact, they will, they will look down on you. Or they will not look at you at all. That's the way the world responds to the differences. But pure love keeps people near. It keeps people near. You know, even those who hurt you, you keep near to you. You see, Matthew chapter 5 verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pure love, when it cannot engage the person physically, will engage the person in prayer always. So don't assault, don't dismiss, and don't distance. It's pretty obvious that this thing that I'm talking to you about is not something that you're going to just improve and get. For pure love goes beyond human reasoning because it is supernatural. There is a Holy Spirit that is leading, that is living in you and will lead you through this pure love that you should have. It is supernatural. It isn't just so that we're saved so that we'll get better. We are saved to be a new creation. And then in verse 30, 23 it says, Since you have been born again, not of a, prof, a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Here, here it is, folks. Purification comes from the living and abiding word of God. It is here that we are saved, not because we know the Bible, but because we receive the word into our hearts. And we know it is the word of God and we act on that word. It is, a, it is an agreement with God, not because it doesn't have Bible verses in it, but because we know that the verses are meant for us and they speak to us into our hearts and they change who we are and transform us from what we are. It is an agreement that is, comes from the author of our salvation. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, some people say, well, that just means believing like they believe that tomorrow's Monday. It isn't that kind of belief. It's one that has an allegiance with it. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It is that allegiance that comes along with obedience. You know, the word of God is amazing because it is living and it is abiding. It remains if nothing else does. It applies itself to your situation. 
The Holy Spirit reads you the Word of God. See, a verse in the Bible has one meaning, but many applications. That's why we can see it in the Old Testament having a meaning, and then we see it as a prophecy in the New Testament. It's not that it has two meanings. It has one meaning. It just has two applications that is there. But the Bible is not up to our own applications. For the Bible has a spiritual author. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It is God-breathed. That means it is written down by the, by, the, by the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's somewhere between um, some just being influenced and being automatic writing. Automatic writing would mean God would grab your hand and have you write it down. That's not what happened. We see the personalities of the people who wrote this word. So we know that God in, did something within them very supernaturally for them to have written down this word. But the other side of it is, if it was written down by the Holy Spirit, how is it going to be received it is not going to be received simply because you can, you can use your IBM, your itty-bitty mind, and you can be able to say, oh, I understand that. It's going to be understood through the Spirit. That's why 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the Bible is not an understandable book without the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what kind of leading is that? It's the same leading as it took to, for that person to write it down. It's the same leading that you, when you read it, you're doing as the person who wrote it down. They got it from God. You're getting it from God as well in that way. See, some try to, people try to make the Bible into a book of literature. They try to make it into a book of science. They try to make it a book of philosophy. But... When the Bible is understood as a word from God, real word from God, and the Holy Spirit comes and reads that word to you, it jumps out at you and it begins to, it, it begins to change and transform you into something that is new. It brings instruction sometimes when you need to have the instruction on what do I need to do, and God's word is right there. It stops sin in its tracks. D.L. Moody said, the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. That is absolutely true. Again, we must understand that it's not about improvement, for Jesus didn't die to improve us. He did not die to improve us. He died so that we would walk with God. He died so that we would become a new creation that could walk with God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what is the prevailing characteristic of these purified souls? What is the prevailing characteristic? It is this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you realize what it said there? Did you read that very carefully? It says, all people will know your disciples of Jesus if you loved as he loved. 
You know, it doesn't say just church people, did it? It said all people. So why don't they? Why don't they? Let's pray.